Hello and welcome to e-commerce growth stories. This is your hostess with the mostest, Juliana Jackson, aka the CLV lady. And also I am the chief evangelist for OmniConvert. And this is Valentin Radu, CEO of OmniConvert. Thank you for tuning in today for a new episode of e-commerce growth stories. Do you like snooping around? I know I do. I don't know, did you ever wonder what Sony uses to power their e-commerce business or Coca-Cola or Motorola or other big names in uh, e-commerce and retail? Well, today the secret is going to be revealed and I am talking about Vitex. Vitex is the first and only fully integrated commerce marketplace and OMS solution that offers fastest time to revenue and no upgrades like ever. So, if you're an e-commerce brand and you're looking to find a software that can really become a powerhouse to your business, providing you the best go-to-market speed, flexibility, daily updates and reports, and overall platform stability and agility, you really have to check these guys out. So, make sure you go to visit vtex.com, that's vtex.com, today and give that e-commerce business a boost. So today we're talking to Adam Kitchen. Adam is the founder of Magnet Monster, an email marketing agency from the UK. So besides learning, you know, more about his background in e-commerce, we're obviously going to touch the very, you know, uh, big elephant in the room, which is the state of email marketing. And uh, Adam has uh, has seen and experienced uh, the transformation of the email channel in a sales channel where, you know, it should just be a distribution channel, a place where, you know, you can go and communicate with your uh, customers. So he has come and shared a lot of insights on how you can actually use Use email marketing to build relationships with your customer, customers rather than just looking at your customers as transactions and look to sell. So tune into this episode, get some uh, a, a piece of paper and a pen because Adam is sharing a lot of valuable insights. And you know, if you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe or you know, just let me know what you think. And now I'm here with Valentin. Yeah. And- and we have a very special to get, uh, guest today, Adam Kitchen. And uh, besides him being the founder of Magnet Monster, he's also a Manchester United fan, which is something I want to mention for the record. Everyone knows I'm a Liverpool fan. And <laughs> he also likes uh, VIP flows. Uh, <laughs> so we have him here today to uh, to hear his story of how he got into e-commerce and, you know, see what he thinks about the state of, uh, you know, email marketing at the moment. So we're very excited to talk to you. Thank you for coming today, Adam. My pleasure. I'm excited to get stuck in and talk about VIP flows too. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I'm going to start by asking you the same question I ask everyone because everyone has a very crazy answer to this. How did you get into e-commerce? Let me give you the short version. <clears throat> I'm 31 years old now, even though I look 16 years old. Um, And my first job was selling supplements at a a local store, very niche um, at the time. It was targeted towards bodybuilders, uh, people into powerlifting and things like this. It was my first job out of school. And 
it was a weekend job. I used to go in, um, I was a sales assistant. And because it was a very niche store, you would have a group of bodybuilders, people who work security, powerlifters who come in every weekend and I would speak to them. And you really had to know the products because it, it's it's a very um, intricate industry in terms of the ingredients and what's in them. So the customers would ask you a lot of questions. So you had to spend a lot of your spare time finding out about the products. Anyway, I did that job for about six months. And then I was always in my spare time on the internet, on uh, bodybuilding.com's internet forums. And I had a link in the signature to the website where I worked, which also had an e-commerce operation. Now, this is 14 years ago. One day I got a call when I was in work on a Saturday from the owner. And uh, my manager, Chris, said to me, Adam, Mike's on the phone. He wants to speak to you. And I said, shit, what have I done? So I got on the phone and he goes, I never spoke to the owner before. He says, are you Adam Kitchen? And I said, uh, yes. And he said, what have you been doing to send all the traffic to our website? And I said, uh, I just post on some internet forum. And I thought I was in trouble. And he said, wow, this is amazing. Like you're sending 250 people a day to our website. Do you want to come to uh, the main office and learn about e-commerce? And I said, yeah, of course, definitely. So I went um, to Warrington, which is not too far from Liverpool, another city. And he became like a mentor to me. And he was uh, like a father figure. Actually, I spent so much time learning about e-commerce with him. I spent a year and a half and he was, was a great man. And back then, you know, everything was custom coded from the ground up on the website. There was no Shopify. There was no Clavio. There was no OmniConvert. If you wanted something, you had to build it from scratch. And Mike's background was software development. So my first day in e-commerce was the last employees left us. You're going to be like the e-commerce manager. We've got 200 customer questions because you could post questions on every product page. And because it was very niche, people would ask, like, how does this protein compare to casein protein, which is slow release? I'm taking a fast acting protein. So you had to really have knowledge on the products. And he said, there's a backlog of 250 questions. I need you to answer all of them. So I spent my whole first day answering every single question about all the backlogs, products and questions. And there was, a, it was about two weeks of just speaking to customers, asking questions relentlessly. Um, and then all of a sudden I, I had all these crazy ideas and because he was a bit older, he wanted to find out like what we should do. I said, we should record videos of the products, talk about them, publish them on Facebook was new at the time. Uh, we built an internet forum. Uh, we, so I was very, very focused on building a community because I knew from being in the store that when I spoke to the customers, they would really just come in to speak to me. They weren't coming in to buy products. We would just talk about, you know, daily life and then they would buy whatever I recommended to them because they trusted me. Yeah. And I tried to apply that methodology to what we were doing on the internet. So I said, we need to, this was before Facebook groups and things like that. So we built a huge internet forum. Uh, we were releasing tons and tons of content. I've always been big on content and anyone who gets bombarded with me on LinkedIn sees I love writing content. I love creating it. I just believe if you answer questions about the audience that they ask to you, then you'll win business because you're solving problems and giving them value. 
So we tried to apply that methodology and it, it done really well. Um, we were the second biggest UK sports retailer at, at the time. Um, and this was without any paid ads. We would turn over like 200 to 250K a month between like a small team of six of us on the internet. Um, and then all of a sudden, I got a, an offer to move to Hong Kong, which was my dream job um, as a kindergarten teacher. So <laughs> I've been in commerce and studying to be a teacher at university. And then all of a sudden, um, I got a, an offer from Hong Kong for a kindergarten teacher. And because I was so close to the owner, I remember going in that day and uh, speaking to him and telling him I had to leave. And it, it made me feel so emotional because I didn't want to leave him. He was like a father figure to me. And then I always remember he said to him, why are you getting upset? And I said, because I feel like I'm leaving the business. And he said, no, no, I want you to go and achieve your dreams. This is amazing news for you. And that was a, a huge turning point for me because I realized that really great people will always try and bring others up and try and push them on. It would have been easy for him to say he was disappointed and he wanted me to stay because I was managing the whole um, e-commerce side. And yeah, fast forward about five years, I was you know, still doing things on the side online, like digital marketing, writing articles, copywriting, messing around with Facebook ads. Uh, I came back to the UK. I lived in Bangkok for a bit. I was in Singapore a lot. Um, and then I came home when I was about 27 and then... A uh, previous contact in the sports nutrition industry offered me a percentage of his company, which was a sports nutrition retailer as well, which was most of my background. I took a cut in the company. Uh, we couldn't make it work. We just couldn't make the company profitable. It's really hard to retail anyone's products, especially when you're a small company. And then after that company failed, I had no money. I was living in London and I said, I was, what am I going to do with my life? So I said, I, I like email. I care about it a lot. Uh, it's probably my best skill. Um, I'm going to strip away everything else, and I'm just going to make a niche service for email marketing. And that's pretty much what we've been doing the last two and a half years is just email for e-commerce. So I like to think I know the channel well, but obviously I'm always trying to learn. But most importantly, I'm always trying to adapt that philosophy of building a community and transferring it across to email because I really believe that's how you win with e-commerce. It's always been the way in any business. If you add value to the customers and you can keep their attention and engagement, they'll buy from you anyway. What a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah that's, I was uh, thinking like, damn. I have so many questions about Bangkok, but maybe for another time. <laughs> <podcast. laughs> my, my answers to Bangkok might not be the best to hear. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I figured. Yeah. That was a crazy city from my perspective. Uh, and uh, even though I haven't uh, lived there, it was, uh, it was an amazing experience, but I, wouldn't, I, I couldn't live there. No. My perspective. I, you know, I've, I told you guys I've been to Bucharest as well a few times, actually. And people tell, told me Bucharest is crazy, but if you amplify Bucharest by like a thousand times, the noise, the busyness, <laughs> that, that doesn't even come close to Bangkok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Adam, regarding the, uh, the 
regarding your perspective in where the email marketing is going there there were some voices telling that uh, email is gone is the open rates are are crappy and uh, you can't uh, you don't open your emails and so on what's your perspective uh, on this i think people everyone's doing the same thing and i've had this conversation with a lot of people i think the problem is now that what i see the trends is that and i've been guilty of this in the past as well is thinking that you can just acquire customers from facebook and instagram and that you can blast them as much as possible and get the revenue up that way and you know i've i've, I've done that before um i'm not saying I, i haven't followed that methodology but i think you quickly realize that with the cost of acquisition going up you actually need to focus on not how much you can bleed out the audience you need to drive the unsubscribe rate down as low as possible and segment people properly and i think it just goes back to that philosophy in general that if you keep someone engaged for a prolonged period of time they'll buy from you anyway you don't need to sell to them so i think where marketers are going wrong is that they're looking at email as a sales channel where it's not it's actually an engagement channel and if you distribute content and you focus on talking to the audience they'll buy from you anyway what everyone's doing 20% off 50% off 30% off and that's the only strategy whereas i would like to think you know we're trying to differentiate and provide experiences when people receive the emails so i would say that where people are going wrong with email is that they're looking at it solely as a sales channel and where it needs to go is become an engagement and a conversational channel which was its original purpose how do you do that i think you need to uh, work towards having high open rates over a period of time and high engagement and not being sucked into vanity metrics where you're going oh the click through rate is high you need to look at why is the click through rate high what is the objective of the email I had a client the other week ask me why the click through rate was 0.7% on an email and I said because there was no call to action there was no need to send the traffic anywhere just the unsubscribe button right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so pe- people are so conditioned to pigeonhole again like how much revenue does this email do how what is the click through rate and when you look at these metrics you silo an email as just a way to milk the audience but as everyone knows you actually need to engage people and keep them interested in the platform and they'll buy from you anyway i want to i want to like take a pit stop here cuz uh this is one of my favorite topics lately <laughs> so um okay so in the market right now there's a there's obviously a change that's happening so a change of mindset a change of uh, you know how to approach different strategies and from you know what i see coming lately you know coming out of covid we see a lot of companies that uh were not ready for the digital transformation that they you know went in and they uh ended up over you know overnight over a pandemic with a lot of uh, you know money a lot of sales but those sales never came back So I see that in the market when it comes to email marketing there's a very um surface a surface type of approach when it comes to let's change the headlines let's change the preview let's you know the you know what I mean right so uh, it's like the most basic advice that brands get so brands are like bombarded about you know uh, of the echo chamber of the same type of advice change your t- t- uh, change your subject line put the preview 
sell, sell, sell. So if you are, uh, you know, if you're following the principles that you're following right now, which are more focused on quality and on distribution, how are you fighting with the majority, which is, you know, everyone is uh, using email to, uh, to, uh, to sell? I think it's it's a mental shift that you need to have buy-in from the company that you're working with. And that's difficult because people approach us sometimes and they say, I need to generate more sales from email. And you go, okay, so let's dig a little bit deeper. How do you think the best way to do that? Well, we need to send more sales promotions out through email. But obviously that burns through people very, very quickly. And I always use the example where in regards to what you were saying about tricks and hacks that people are using, I can easily manipulate an open rate by just saying, oh my God, is the headline of an email, dot, dot, dot. But when someone opens that, it might go to 40, 45% on a campaign, but you're conditioning people to not open future emails. So because people are constantly looking at that short-term picture, how much revenue did this email drive? Um, how can we get the sales up this week? They're not taking a long-term view when what they should be doing is yet yeah, not like hacking and trying to trick people. You should be building relationships. So how do you build relationships? You progressively profile people, you find out more about them, and then you create segments and send them more relevant content and messages. Yeah, I, I, uh, I like that. And uh, when it comes to um, gamification and trick trickery and gimmickry, as uh, I have a friend on uh, LinkedIn that call, calls it gimmickry, um, <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm gonna go back to what you started uh, when you uh, you were telling me uh, you know you were telling us uh, your story. So you said that you were operating in e-commerce with the most basic things. It was no Facebook, no ads, no nothing. You guys were doing basic stuff, but you were winning because you were very much focused on crafting the whole experience in your own way. So would you consider that? right now the market is so oversaturated with possibilities that you know brands can use to bamboozle sales and whatever would you say that the best approach that e-commerce brands or e-commerce marketer uh, should uh, should take right now is just going back to basic and learning and unlearning a lot of things that you know the last 20 years of uh, e-commerce and marketing have uh, put up on them so I think it's just logical if you look at, like, for example, if people lose 25% of their email list year on year, you're not going to be able to constantly, it'll become an economical decision where people say, we can't afford to continuously purchase data. So we need to lower that unsubscribe rate and stretch people's engagement out. So when, when it's put to you that way, people start to consider the messages they're sending out and they put themselves in the customer's shoes. And I always say the best way to do this is just subscribe to your own emails and watch how annoying it is when you subscribe for the very first time because you'll probably be pissed off and you'll realize a lot of what's um, happening in your own brand. You would not like to receive that if you're a customer. So, yeah, I think it, it's a huge mental shift, but I think it will be forced onto people rather than willingly because the cost of acquisition and ads and everything else, people are going to look at email, the negative signals. How can I get this unsubscribe rate down? How can I keep people engaged? Not just how can I blast people and get the sales up month on month? Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's uh, it's crazy how much, you know, the e-commerce uh, industry has grew, but at the same time, 
you know, it's, it's I feel like we're all trapped in a way. Yeah. Adam, I want to, I want to emphasize something that you've said that uh, most of the, most of the emails from uh, retailers are like 20% off, 30% off, buy again, buy now, special offer, whatever. What do you, would you recommend to be the, the ideal uh, percentage of discounts and promotions versus, uh, let's say, content, informative, how to use the product, uh, whatever. Let, let's say not evergreen content, but uh, useful content. Yeah. Obviously, this depends on the brand that you're working with. Some people, it goes back to that you need buying from the brands, first of all. We have people approach us where they say um, they've got no content to share. They've got nothing to sell uh, to say. We need to get the sales up. So you need to be able to work with something. As a rule of thumb, I like to recommend two uh, content or engagement-related emails to one sales campaign. If I've got more materials, sometimes we don't even send any sales campaigns. We work with some brands that don't do discounts. Um, they don't want to, or they completely buy into that philosophy. So I like the approach where the more content that you have that's genuinely valuable and related to that segment, just send that instead. Because if people go to consume content, whether it's on your website or your email, they're going to buy from you anyway. You don't need to force them into a browsing session. Just condition them to engage with the brand. So as a rule of thumb, I would probably say two to one in terms of engagements and content towards product focus. But I would go even lower than that if you've got more things to say. And obviously look at the, the segments that you're sending to. That's very important. Mm -hmm. But what what if the, the brand itself is like promotion driven? Let's say you have a product centric company which is not that, uh, let's say, they sell fashion or sneakers or sport apparel or whatever. What, what do you recommend for those type of companies? Yeah, that, that's a bit more, like you said, because the customers are sometimes conditioned as well to receiving a lot of promotions. It's difficult. I'm not going to lie. I don't think there's a magic bullet that you can um, just suddenly create tons of content. But I think at a very basic level, look at the segments, for example, are you sending, um, I think I gave you this example, Valentin, a few weeks ago where I bought from a sport retailer and I bought a pair of uh, men's trainers and all of a sudden they're sending me emails for um, women's clothing. So just a very common sense, basic level, um, having the right segments and then looking, okay, when did this customer last buy from us? We've sent them 50 sales campaigns in the last three weeks. Are they really going to buy if we send them one more? And then thinking, what can we do a little bit differently to engage these people? Yeah. Well, it is difficult because, again, it's the nature of the beast for that type of business. Sometimes you you have a lot of inventory. You need to shift it very quickly. Um, the customers are conditioned to a lot of sales campaigns. I think it, you just need to con um, have the buy-in from the brand to make them see the value of differentiating with content or with value again. And that is difficult. And a lot of brands are going to have to do that because if you're just competing on price and discounts, what's to differentiate you from someone else? There's no loyalty attached to that brand. So again, I think it will become forced on the brand itself um, rather than them having to just create it on their own whim. Yeah. I think uh, what is also important here to, to, to add, Adam, is that uh, if you can't do outstanding things, at least do your hygiene uh, with your yeah. uh, segments and uh, don't drop the ball with the 
let's say general campaigns or uh, irrelevant uh, uh, products. Uh, I also have to to ask you something on on top of this. How how important do you think it is to to calibrate? the buying cycles with the emails because at some point let's say you have fast moving consumer goods right and you're of course you're buying coffee or tea every three four five seven days or at least you're consuming these products with a certain cycles but uh, brands they have this all good old approach like let's send a newsletter every week tuesday because we've heard this uh, this is the best operate we've we've read some best practices uh, on, on this uh, article Uh, what do you suggest for those uh, those type of uh, uh, of companies? Let's say. So, just to to clarify on your question, are you talking about like a fast moving con- consumer goods company? Say, for example, coffee or protein, yeah. for example. Uh, I, I was asking you how important is to calibrate the cadence of your emails with the buying cycles because it's uh, I've seen. Uh, if you don't need to restock, I think it's stupid to to get an email the second day after I've bought something oh, which I haven't consumed yet, but you are sending me another uh, uh, email to buy it again or whatever. Hundred percent agree with you. You need to look for patterns in the data, um, and this is something you know I'm learning about myself all the time. For example, if someone buys a protein powder that the life cycle is 30 days, then why do I need to send another 10 newsletters in the time being about protein powder until I finish that product? So one thing we did, um, and I'm, I'm not going to, this is a new thing to us as well, around three months ago, I realized this myself, it was not an optimal experience. And we went back into all the flows we'd ever built for our existing clients. And we put what we call exclusion tags on uh, people entering a flow saying if someone goes into a flow especially if they buy from you for the first time do not send them any campaign until they finish that flow and when they finish that flow yes then you can send them a campaign maybe if they haven't bought Uh, but even still you know i think there's a lot of value in finding out why they haven't bought um but yeah i think you need to know on a product or category level the buying cycles um structure the the reminders timely around them and just take a holistic overview and again, try and pass through your own company's emails. If you're being saturated and bombarded, chances are if you're a customer, you're not going to stay subscribed to that brand. So I think you should be working towards a lower frequency and higher engagement over time, not a higher frequency and lower engagement. You're on mute, Valentin, but it's good. It's good vision. <laughs> I just agreed. Cool. Okay, cool. So if you're on this topic, Adam, let's talk a bit about subscribers. So um, I uh, subscribe uh, by, you know, guilty pleasure to a lot of newsletters because I want to see how bad they are. And I just do this for fun. And but also I'm kind of surprised sometimes, right? Because, you know, the content might be interesting. But I see the fact that um, when you subscribe to a newsletter, the... I guess the journey that you have pre, uh, pre-purchase, and if John is listening this, he might, he might actually dig this question. So do you feel that the email marketing agency that a brand is working with or the email marketing in general that a brand does respect where the customers are, or not the customers, the visitors are in their journey? Because you might be interested. You might just randomly find the, you know, the website and you like something. Like There's a lot of stages of awareness, decision, and interest. So when you subscribe to a newsletter... 
what I see as a common thing is that the, the welcome series is going to include the product, just product. Yep. So what, what is your take on that? How uh, would you advise people that are doing email? Because I see some familiar faces here that I know that are doing email. So they're probably here to listen to you. And uh, what would be uh, some things that you can uh, do to understand where the person is in the journey with you, with the, so the subscriber, right? So not the customer. And how would you approach the welcome series to not be a very boring ass welcome series? Number one in the welcome series, don't try and sell excessively. I don't think there's any point. Um, but progressively profile people, ask them what their persona is. If you can't collect it on the front end and you don't know anything about them, then you should find out about them and segment. Um, as an example, we, again, just to use my sports nutrition example, let's say, for example, you're a, a sports retailer. Um, I always want to find out if someone coming through the business for the first time is a bodybuilder, uh, their interest in fat loss or performance, and then you can just ask them in an email and then segment them accordingly. That should be very high up on the welcome flow because otherwise you're going to send generalized messages to people. Um, in an ideal world, you'd be able to collect that before they even enter the flow. Um, and that I think is what everyone is trying to work towards with, with um, overlays and pop-ups. But yeah, in perfect welcome flow for me is finding out more about the customer. Um, yeah, you know, bit of brand storytelling, but the progressive profiling so you can tailor the customer journey afterwards because otherwise you are just guessing. And, um, you know, we've, we've done it ourselves. We don't have enough data on the customer and there is an element of educated guessing at best. Tell me more about educated guessing. Do you... Uh, do you um... Do you think uh, email marketing people are doing guessing when it comes to email marketing? 100% and so are we as well. I won't you know, shy away from it. Um, I think anyone that says they don't guess to some extent is lying. Uh, I think in a perfect world, we're all trying to, or we would like to get more data. But I actually see the best marketers now and the people I admire are finding ways to capture those insights from people. And I've done a big shift in our company as well, saying that, we don't just want to judge success on the revenue that we drive from email because, again, I think it just pigeonholes email as a performance marketing channel, but it's not. We want to find out more about the customer, engage with them, and create more granular customer journeys. So I think you'll get to a point with email in the future where you see the marketers who are able to create a better journey based on collecting more data will automatically sell more anyway because they just know who they're speaking to. And yet there's there's guessing involved for everyone. Um, we need to find more creative ways rather than just putting people into a newsletter and hitting them with 20% off. Everyone's doing this and it needs to change. And we're trying to, we're trying our best. Yeah. Well, I think it's uh, it's important to add uh, on, on what you've said, Adam, regarding the granular customer journeys is that uh, many times we are we are having some assumptions about what we should be telling the customers, but the qualitative research would show other things. And I think what is uh, hugely Im impactful for any type of business, even though you sell a single SKU or multiple SKUs, is to understand the jobs that the customers are doing with the products. Once you understand the jobs behind your products, you could do a small survey with, I don't know, or which of the free jobs you are going, you are buying this product just on the thank you page. 
And once you have that, then all the streams of and, and all the flows could be uh, about helping the customers to make the progress with the products that they've bought. Because otherwise, you're going to bombard the customers assuming that they actually want uh, what you want to sell. But the company wants something while the customers need something. And the, the, this is a huge gap, which is not going to be filled in by the customers. They are not going to knock at your door and say, hey, I'm buying this for that purpose. So please send me things regarding the, those. They, they will vote with, your, with their wallets. And uh, let's say the bad news is that the competition is that high that they will migrate to, uh, to another competitor which is doing a, a better job. And one more thing to add here, customers are, uh, we, we tend to think that customers are sitting there waiting for us to, to blast them with, with new products. It's like putting a, like, like something in their eyes, like take 20%, 30% in, in front of their eyes. Like, but they will be felt just bombarded by you. But if you want to have a DNA as a brand that actually gives a damn about your their customers, then you should be simply asking them what they need. And then you could fill in the, uh, fill in the blanks. Otherwise, you're going to just be uh, uh, an undifferentiated brand yeah. And, uh, and that's a shame. And many customers don't understand that the purchase frequency is the the most important multiplier. Their most, most important multiplier is how many times a customer is buying. Because it's completely stupid to have customers which are buying 10 times from you, not asking them what, what made you buy so often from yeah. us and go out there, pay money to Facebook ads and Google ads Give me customers which are going to buy only once so that I can squeeze, you know, my cash flow and go again to you to buy again from me. It's so stupid. And, uh, and e-commerce brands are not getting this simple math problem. Yeah, it's um, it, 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 when you frame it like that, you realize the biggest objective of your email is to actually find out more about your customers. It's not to sell to them. It's to continuously find meaningful insights so that you can then tailor better insights to them. Yeah, I think there's not enough uh, focus on uh, qualitative data and on qualitative research because no. I, I speak a lot about this and I feel like uh, we're looking at numbers and, you know, at quantitative data. I have a very big problem with the word quantitative. I actually have a video of me trying to say that word. Quantitative data. So we have a very big problem because we use data as marketers to justify shitty, bad decisions because we're looking at data as a, you know, help us to make an argument, right? But without the context that qualitative data will bring and the analysis and, you know, how you can uh, collect that via email or surveys or pop-ups or whatever is going to be very hard to not play the guessing game because when you're talking about new customers there is where you play the most guessing game because you can tell what's going to happen so you know versus customers like you know valentine was talking about that spend that you know come and buy from you 10 times and no one thinks like why the hell is this person buying 10 times from me right now yeah. so while we're on the topic 
we have a question here from Bruno Teixeira, and I hope my Portuguese helped me to say that name right. If not, I'm sorry, bro, that I uh, <laughs> destroyed your name. So he says, hi from Portugal. Regarding the automotive industry, where a customer usually buys the car once in five years, how can we leverage email marketing? Additionally, what strategies do you recommend to acquire subscribers? Perfect um, example is what we've just been talking about. So. So if someone's going to buy every five years, you'd want to progressively profile them to find out how frequently they're driving the car, um, how they service it, how, if, is it for a family? Um, <clears throat> and then obviously you can tailor more efficient messages towards them. So there is things that people buy once they get cars as well. Uh, I, I don't know what he's actually selling besides the cars, but if you're able to find out those that data by asking the customer post-purchase, um, or obviously upfront, then you'll be able to send them more targeted campaigns. And when I say campaigns, again, how to get the most out of their investments, because ultimately, especially in the automobile industry, people rarely do buy from people that they trust. So I would really make sure the customer satisfaction is high and that they're happy with the purchase. And I would find out obviously things like how they're using the car, um, mileage families how frequently it's MOT'd, stuff like that so i think it just goes intelligent data collection and progressive profiling along the way and then giving them advice on how to get the most out of it because there is things um for non-technical people with cars like me that they have no idea about like how to change the water um you know the tires and things like that so there's lots of things you can do if you get creative and just think about the customer journey rather than What's the fastest way I can sell to this person again? Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, I, I would also add to you, to, to this, Adam, that uh, uh, Bruno, you need to, to understand which are your company's objective down the line. In, in five years, you want, that, you want that customer to buy again. But until then, you, you want a customer which is so pleased about your, your service that he he's becoming an uh, an evangelist for your brand and for your i don't know car if you're a car dealer or whatever you are so you should do this customer journey to understand the touch point and you should understand which are the questions that arise in the heads of your customers once they buy the car because okay i've bought the car i've paid i don't know twenty thousand us dollars or whatever if it's about car not car parts which is a different story but if i if i've bought the car then i I would like as a car dealer to make sure that my customers are happy with it. So I would I would uh, ask them about the satisfaction and then down the line, I would give him some tips about the fact that they've bought a uh, Volkswagen, which uh, could be treated like this and that and how to treat your SUV and then how to, because the questions would be how, what is the mile, uh, what is the consumption? How can I diminish the consumption? Because it's about maintaining and nurturing and using the product. And then he's getting into a different uh, if into a different, uh, let's say, mindset. He's not about buying, but it's about using. And once you understand that, email is a great tool to, to, to use down the line because uh, if you build this content strategy, that could go ever uh, evergreen and uh, the cadence shouldn't be like once a week. It could be once a month and uh, whatever. I mean, I mean, that's what you should be asking yourself, not how to use the email marketing, but how can I provide value to the customer's only, only, yeah, okay, got it. So 
how can I provide value to the customers which are using this uh, the, this car? So Carvana-like platform. So they, these are, uh, oh, how do they call them? These are uh, like house on cars or how do they call yeah. this? Yeah, yeah. Car oh, Caravan, I say, yeah. RV? Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's like a house on wheels that you move around. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. So mainly that's, uh, that's my two cents about your, uh, your question. It's not about the tool and many, com many customers, uh, are, are being bombarded by emails because they have their, their, those stupid KPIs, like how many emails we've sent, how many people were, were, were clicking. No, how happy are the customers and how can I integrate email in my whole customer journey? Because, and that's a problem in the whole industry i mean the the bigger the company the more silos they have and they have the social team the email team the ppc team this is so crazy i mean it's, it's crazy from 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 the way the org chart looks yeah. the email guys they have their own freaking kpis and they need to bombard with emails their customers to come back and get to the website while the social needs fans and engagement on the social media but what about the customer where is the customer in all this craziness right where is yeah. the happiness of the customer where is the progress that he's doing with the products that you're selling that, yeah. i completely agree first of all Number one, teach them how to use the product and get the most value out of it. That should be your objective rather than I need to sell to them in five years' time. Um, and just to touch on that point, Valentine, I was speaking about this yesterday as well. We've worked with people where they say, we need to get the email revenue up to 40%. I said, why? What, what's the purpose of this? And then you're having like departments fighting over attribution. It's It's crazy. It's not... A holistic way to it's a, just a terrible way to look at the business in general why would you want different departments to fight you meant to all work towards sales and providing a better customer experience but yeah it's sad we're having um like wars between facebook ads versus tiktok and then um social versus email and sms versus email and it just misses the big picture where they should all harmoniously help each other not work against each other and i would like to add to bruno's question because all of you guys added your two cents i'm gonna add to your question bruno look for lifetime value fans and because if your business uh, has a, such a low frequency product you want to understand better uh the jobs that your current customers are hiring your product for so you can do smarter acquisitions instead of just going and spraying for whoever wants a car, if you understand the job, right? And if you understand the story behind, you can uncover the demand. And then when you go and acquire new customers, you can acquire them in a much more, on a much more higher value than you would if you just do, you know, thoughtless, uh, thoughtless marketing. That's how I, uh, I like to, uh, to call it. But thank you for the question also, Bruno. So now, Adam, oh my God, I've been waiting for this moment for a long time <laughs> to, to greet you. So I have a question for you because, and I know Valentin would agree with something I don't agree right now. So I have massive question for you. It's, it's yep. going to be silly. <laughs> so it's a common conversation in the market that short copy sells better than longer copy. And Valentin believes that shorter copy sells better than longer copy. But I want to ask you as an email marketing, uh, you know, expert or, you know, if you're marketing dude, 
What? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't like the word expert, but that's another conversation. <laughs> you clearly, you clearly know your, uh, you know your stuff around email marketing. But tell me, is longer copy selling worse than shorter copy? And I want to clip this moment right now. <laughs> it, this is it, it's about context. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a black or white answer. Uh, what I will say in general, especially for e-commerce, the trend is to build emails to skim especially if you're going for like a really visual branded experience. I think it makes sense to have like very clear headlines and short witty copy. We actually have an amazing copywriter whose um, background is in long form copy and he likes to write like really long story based emails. But because we're trying to be quite design centric, we continuously have to teach him to write less copy for the emails because especially some brands, right? Like I see my sisters, I see how they consume emails on their phone. They're skimming the emails. So I think the the majority of the time now, I would say build the emails to be able to be skimmed quickly, unless you're in a specific industry where that type of long form um, educational storytelling works well. And how can you how can you tell uh, that? Because I think uh, I think longer copy works if you have something valuable to say. If you don't have something valuable to say, it it, it will be hard for you to write <laughs> that much. Yeah, again, it goes. What's the goal of the email? Right, like, is it just to send traffic back to the website? If so, then you know, clear call to action, um, make it short and witty might work best. But that saying that, it might might not be. You could include hyperlinks and long form uh, content and get people. So ultimately, I think it just depends on the quality of the message and the overall brand. And when in doubt, A-B test them. Um, I'm pretty agnostic to like short or long. Just just test and find out what works best. Cool. Are you happy with that answer, Valentin? <laughs> Can always test. Yeah, I'm, of course I'm. Uh, uh, I'm happy because Adam, what Adam just said is, uh, he said it depends. You're trying to be polite. No, grilling me because I long. I write the longest emails. Longest. I will. I say all my story in one email. I'm capable of everything. So yeah, that I. I had to take the chance, and you know, I kind of played myself on it, but it's okay. <laughs> well, I, I think overall, right, like. It, I think less is more in a lot of um, circumstances. And I, I know this myself. I love to waffle um, a bit too much sometimes. But I think as a copywriter as well, you should always look for filler that you can trim out and make it condensed and get to the point quicker. So um, you want to make it as easy as possible for people to consume content. Uh, and whether that needs to be in a long form or short form, you should just try and be as succinct as possible to get the message across. Adam, what do you recommend to the e-commerce entrepreneurs which uh, are uh, looking to to start with their uh, their email uh, marketing strategy or to let's say uh, make it uh, proper this time? Uh, where where they should be starting? What, what what are you doing when you are starting with a new brand to to cooperate? <clears throat> yeah, so there there is obviously I would say quick wins. Um, don't want to say growth hacks because Juliana might get angry. <laughs> you know, there's, there's things you can set up straight away. Um, abandoned cart, your welcome flow. Everyone knows the standards out of the box automation. But that's stuff that anyone can set up. Everyone knows about those things. So apart from that, what I would say would be make a conscious effort from the beginning to collect as much data, which has been the theme 
of like this whole talk just try and find out as many insights as possible from your customers and as many different touch points as possible so that you can tailor a better message towards them don't build and then work backwards trying to figure out the insights because at that point you've likely pissed a lot of people off with irrelevant messages and just burn through them so yeah things like abandoned cart welcome flow post purchase win back whatever um most people will have them set up as a go-to like more quick wins but find yeah find out as much data as possible and create better experience through segmentation cool i have a question from our sponsor vitex right now and uh, it's 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 a funny question so they're asking uh <laughs> So they're asking you, what's your opinion about SMS marketing? Is it more efficient than email marketing? The problem is, well, efficient in what way, right? Like it's about context. Um, and I, I see this with SMS a lot because of the, the cost on it. People feel very, very pressured to sell and, and generate an ROI that way. Um, so... I think that leads to bad practices because when you have such an expensive form of communication, the only way for a lot of brands to justify that is by trying to sell to the audience. But again, that's just short-term thinking. So I think SMS, it's got it's, it's I'm not saying you shouldn't use it, but I think for me it's a, it's a sales medium primarily. And I would use it specifically for um limited edition drops, sales promotions things like that. And I would try and condition the customers to receive more purposeful, long form content on email because it's it's a cheaper medium to communicate that type of message. But do you like it? I don't know. Um, I hate getting SMSs and I unsubscribe from them. I find them quite invasive. Uh, and saying that, you know, it, they work. Um, I think that I do think it's not necessarily a trend, but I think it's going to change at some point. Um, surely, some point, someone will put like filters on the SMS inbox the same way you have with email. Um, and I think when that happens, it will change a lot. <laughs> Looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... Adam, we are seeing that the third-party cookies are, are are going down. Do you think this is going to affect positively the email marketing industry? Absolutely, yeah, because it will make it again. It just goes back to what we've been talking about. It will make people realize that they need to tailor a better customer journey. You can't just keep loading people up and up and up. There's going to be less people going in through the top. So when there's less people going in through the top, it forces you to think more about what happens when they come out the other end. Mm -hmm. So you, there's not that surplus of supply where they go, ah, we can afford to lose nine people because we'll keep this one person and hit them with 50%, 20% off. You go to see people go, whoa, wait there. We need to keep at least three people. So when you're put into that um, paradigm where you, you, you have to shift mentally, you're going to really think about it from their perspective, which is what you should be doing anyway, but it will just force that and expedite it even more. I like that. Go ahead, Valentin. Sorry. Uh, I also wanted to ask you something, Adam, regarding the uh, let's say uh, our our mission. As you as you know, we are completely obsessed about customer lifetime value and uh, the the impact that it has in the retailer's uh, uh, existence. Let's say, uh, what's your uh, let's say 
best su suggestion, let's say, of course, it should be specific to the e-commerce and so on. But uh, if you would give some tips uh, about using email to improve the customer lifetime value, which would those be? Don't be overly concerned with revenue per recipient and click-through rates because they can easily be manipulated. I think long-term open rates aggregated over time shows that people are interested in your messaging and unsubscribe rates will show if people are just pissed off and it's not relevant to them. So I think rather than obsessively focusing on how much revenue each email generates, if you can prolong someone's engagement over a year, two years, three years, they're going to buy anyway if they stay engaged with your email. So that's my philosophy and that's how we're constantly trying to drive down uh, unsubscribes and keep open rates high and you do that how by sending more relevant messages to the right customer at the right time. And how you send more relevant messages? More data. <laughs> the corner him, Valentin. It's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm curious, how are you living in Liverpool by being a Manchester United fan? So I'm the referee here, right? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's a hard life. Um, I mean, I'm 31 years old now, and now Liverpool are winning everything. But when I was growing up, uh, Manchester United were winning everything. So just to give a bit of context, why am I a Man United supporter in Liverpool? So my uh, father was from Manchester, and my mum was from Liverpool. Now, I don't, for anyone who's from the States who's not watching, Liverpool and Manchester are very close in the UK. They're like 40 miles apart. But... It is such a huge cultural uh, change between between two cities and there's a massive rivalry where they hate each other. And <clears throat> the worst thing you can do, because football is like religion in the UK, is um, support a different team from the city that you're from. And basically, I was born in Manchester. My parents got divorced when I was really young and my mum took me back to Liverpool. So I grew up in Liverpool, but of course you follow your father's team and it, it was hard, yeah. But luckily, we were winning everything. <laughs> That's not the case anymore. <laughs> I'll tell you something funny, actually, right? Because football is, and Valentin, you'll know as well, football is, just seems to be the go-to conversation for all men when there's nothing to talk about. Every time you get a ta in a taxi in Liverpool, the taxi driver looks in the mirror and goes, are you a blue or a red? So Everton or Liverpool? And I go... Uh, now I have to explain the story about how my parents are divorced again. And I go, <laughs> I'm a red, but I'm not the type of reds that you think. And they go, are you a man? Like a man, you know, and, and you go, oh, get out the taxi. Get out the taxi. <laughs> Hilarious. No, but I couldn't imagine how you, you're living there. Like you're going to, you know, you're, you're wearing, you cannot wear the T-shirt. It's like being oh. in the blood and the crypts. You cannot be seen with colors outside. It's fine. I, I've, I've, I've got a Manchester, an old one now. I don't buy them anymore, but I do have an old Manchester United T-shirt. And I've went to walk out a couple of times with it on. And because sometimes I just wear them around the house. And I actually go back upstairs and change the clothes. Seriously. <laughs> 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 cool so my last question for you my one i don't know valentin you might have one uh my last question for you is this what are the top three things an email marketing agency or an email marketer should be focused not and don't tell me the data and whatever again because i i got that but tell me like what are three things that you know you should unlearn 
from all this acquisition-centric, you know, mindset that we're living. Because as you, I'm tired of seeing people treating email like a sales channel when it should be a distribution or a content or whatever, you know, like own marketing should not necessarily be sales. So what, you know, like there's many people listening to the advice of you and other, you know, others in your space. And it's always, you know, a collide between advices that you get when it comes to uh, email marketing. So what 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 should you know people do actually what would be those things because i i too don't believe in email being a sales channel give me three things the first thing you should do is is put a very intense focus on your segmentation uh who you send especially when it comes to your campaigns who you're sending to have you got the right information about them is it relevant to them you should definitely start there the second thing i would look at is how is the open rate over time, a prolonged period of time, not acute measurements, because if the open rate stays high to each segment, that's a good intense signal that people are engaging with the, the messaging. Um, the third thing is obviously look at the unsubscribes <clears throat> because that shows if people want to hear from you or not. You'll have noticed I didn't mention anything about uh, revenue per recipient or click-through rates. Um, because I think it's it's bullshit. It can be easily manipulated. Um, as an example, I can go into any e-commerce business's account tomorrow and start to send 50% off coupons to everyone and the revenue per, per recipient will be very high. Doesn't mean it's a good thing for the business. So you have to get out of the mindset of you're in email to sell. That's what it goes back to. You're not you're in email to provide a better customer experience like any area of the business. And the only way you can do that is by playing the long game, giving the customers what they want and stop thinking what's better for the short-term monetary gains. It's a mindset shift. I agree. Adam, my uh, my question is, what would you recommend uh, to, uh, let's say, people here that are willing to grow? What's, what's your best suggestion uh, or maybe it's a book, maybe it's a habit, maybe it's something that they should be doing to level up their their game and and grow uh, uh, on their on the inside, not only outside. Find out your customers' pain points, ask them, and just create content around solving those problems. Don't even waste. Try to force your products in there as the solutions. Just give them the answers to things that they're looking for. And that understand that they'll buy from you as a byproduct of trust. So I would invest massively in just collating all the customer service questions, all the common questions on products. And I would constantly just be creating content around that and distributing them through channels. And I think if you do that, then engagements will skyrocket and people are just going to buy from you. You won't even have to sell. Excellent. That was my last question as well. Thanks a lot, Adam, for, uh, for being today with us. I hope we didn't grill it so much. I enjoy it. Take me to the fryer, grill me. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by Vitex. Vitex is the first and only fully integrated e-commerce marketplace and OMS solution that offers fastest time to revenue and no upgrades ever. So go ahead, check them out, vtex.com.